Good morning, Grace Church. Happy Father's Day. Keep on going. Happy VBS Eve. My favorite part is Landon drumming in a cave. That was awesome. Is it, was it cool? Was it like, do you want to do this every week? Is it, do you want a cave every week? I'm telling you what. Who, want, who doesn't want to drum in a cave? My goodness gracious. Now, by the way, we don't decorate like this every week. And let's just say that you don't have the heart of a child. And you're getting a little bugged by balloons or whatever. Can you just go with me on this? Trust me on this. We love kids so much at Grace Orange. And there's going to be a whole bunch of kids here tomorrow and all week long hearing the gospel. A lot of them will be believers. Some will be unbelievers. And their moms and dads are going to all be dropping them off and be around. What a magnificent opportunity to greet people, love people, share the gospel with people. So every time you might be bugged by a balloon, just pray for God to change your heart and pray that God would touch many hearts with the gospel this week. Amen? Amen. Okay, now that we got that straight, let's talk about the men. <laughs> let's talk about the men. This is a Father's Day, and um, men are awesome. I am one. But we often struggle. And we struggle with feeling as if maybe our life isn't significant or isn't making a difference for the kingdom of God. And I know that you might think this sometimes. I think we all do. Like, you know, in my little corner of the world, I'm not sure if I'm making that much of an impact for Jesus and the gospel. And we struggle with that. And there's all sorts of things that, that play into that. But we see that struggle in marriage and family, in the marketplace, in, in our ministries. And it is very easy for men to get disillusioned and discouraged and maybe even a bit confused about what is their calling in life. And you might be wondering today, what is my life amounting to? What is it counting for? That might be you today. And what you need is some sort of compass, you know, a directional help that will, that will point you in the right direction and keep you focused and get you zeroed in on, on a worthwhile goal. And so you can see you're making some progress. And I know you need encouragement to do so. And this, by the way, this sermon is not just for men, it's for men and women and boys and girls, it's for everyone in earshot to, to look at today, and today we're not in the book of Acts, we're in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, and there we are going to see how not only men, but men, women, boys and girls can make a difference led by the Holy Spirit for Jesus and the gospel, that's what we're going to see today. So we stand to read God's word here at Grace, so please stand with me. I'm going to read just two verses today. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And I like to remind you, and I'll do it probably till my dying breath, that the word of God is, 
is perfect. It is inerrant. It is infallible. It is inspired by God. It is God's word. It is so different from all the other words we hear in, in life. It is God's word, and, and God wants to use his word in our lives for his glory. So 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, and thank you, Lord, that you have given us your, your truth. Lord, we, we can't live without it. We acknowledge today, Lord, that we are, we are needy, we are dependent, we are lost without you. And Lord, even if there's unbelievers here, I hope that they see today that, that you are who you say you are and that it is only through a relationship with Jesus, crucified, risen, exalted, and returning, that we can even experience real life. Lord, I pray today that you would have your way with us, that you would have your way in our hearts, that we would be yielded to you, and that we, we would really stand back and, and see your glory in the gospel and as it is applied to our life. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So I know I told you we're in 2 Timothy chapter 2, but we're starting in Acts. We're starting today in Acts chapter 16, verse 1. That's going to be our, our launching pad, if you will. Be, but before we dive into 2 Timothy 2, I want you to see some background on where we have been. And if you're new to grace, this will help. For the past year, starting June 14th, 2015, I've been preaching through the book of Acts verse by verse. We finished chapter 15 last week. Uh, we've taken some brief breaks throughout that time. And today is such a day. And Acts 16.1 is really the tie-in that I, I, I want to then take kind of a, a sidebar, if you will, today and look at 2 Timothy 2.2. But one of the fun things we have done in re, is review the book of Acts as we've gone through it, because uh, I want you to grasp the flow. I want you to see the big picture of the book of Acts. Because Acts is all about the story continuing. It's the story of Christ's work through his witnesses for his purposes. And it is a historical record. It's the foundational record of the first 30 years of the church. It's the continuing story of Christ's work after the resurrection, after the ascension, in the first 30 years, and is written with a purpose to encourage believers. Because the believers in that day were, were navigating very tricky and treacherous waters. I think that's a tie-in here to the... Uh, I think we're underwater here right now, by the way. So take a deep breath. No, uh, we don't need to wear masks. They're filling it up with water later today, I guess. Okay. But Luke was writing to encourage believers as they were navigating these treacherous and tricky waters of, of, of a world that was hostile to the, to the gospel. Here they are, citizens now of heaven, and they are they're swimming in, in a culture that is basically opposed to the gospel, and they are, they are facing tough times. And it's comforting, I think, to see what, what early Christians were going through because we are also navigating treacherous waters in a culture that is opposed to the gospel. Back then, there were r wicked rulers whose 
rabid followers wanted to destroy Christians. And that's very similar to the kind of world we live today where there are wicked rulers with rabid followers who want to destroy any mention of Jesus and the gospel, and they even want to mention, they even want to destroy Christians. So Luke is writing and he's tracing the gospel spread through this, these treacherous waters in a hostile environment. And, and what he does is he traces the growth from Jerusalem out to Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. And, and we're seeing the gospel, despite all enemies, flourishing. And people are getting saved. And we've gone through 15 chapters of this. First thing we saw, chapter 1, Jesus called his witnesses. Chapter 2, they're being indwelt by the Spirit. Chapter 3, the witnesses start preaching all over the place. And chapter 4, God is confirming the gospel through miracles of healing. Chapter 5, a crazy scenario, but God's purifying his church and Ananias and Sapphira are are disciplined. Chapter 6, we see God stretching their faith through trials and Then chapter 7, scattering them in the gospel. They get scattered and the gospel goes with them. More gospel ministry results. And chapter 8, God is just sending more and more believers out to reach more and more people. Chapter 9, he chooses instruments of grace. We see Saul of Tarsus being chosen by God as an instrument of his. In chapter 10, you see God speaking in many hearts. Over and over again, God saving. And, And chapter 11, people actively repenting and turning to Christ. In chapter 12, you see God responding to evil for his glorious purposes in Christ. And then chapter 13 is kind of a crescendo in the book of Acts where there's an outcome. And the outcome is that the church is sending. The church is going. And they send a missionary team. They send a ministry team out. Now, we send a lot of people out. We prayed for the Urban Hope team today. We're welcoming back the South Africa team later on today. They were sending. They were going. And then... In chapter 14, it just continues on. They're serving the Lord faithfully. They're serving the Lord fruitfully. Now, most recently, we looked at chapter 15, and it was about navigating. They were navigating dissension, and they were navigating disagreement. And we learned some really good things there, some very practical things as we go through life. That when sinful dissension arises, we are to stand united for gospel truth, contend earnestly for the faith. But when disagreement happens, Christians can be united for the gospel and disagree on subjective points. And that's, I think, very, very applicable to where we live. And the fact that we need to to develop a capacity to agree to disagree and still be friends. Some of us are learning that. We're all learning that still. And I mentioned last week that navigating disagreement among believers is sometimes like herding cats. And so, and by the way, I've been practicing this all week, uh, sometimes successful, sometimes not, but first you've got to clarify the issue. What is it that you're disagreeing about? And secondly, ask God for wisdom. Rely upon him. And then third, talk about it with the person you disagree with, not with everyone else. And then fourth, settle it peacefully. And what we saw with Barnabas and Paul is that they had such a sharp disagreement that they actually, the way they settled it peacefully was, they parted ways. 
There were now two ministry teams rather than just one. And God was going to bless both of those teams as they went out. And that takes us to Acts 16, verse 1, where Paul and Silas meet a young man named Timothy, whose mother was a believer, whose father was a Greek. And the way that verse is constructed is telling us most likely his father was already dead. His father was not a believer. His mom was still alive and was a believer. And so today we're taking that sidebar to really delve into something that Paul wrote to Timothy years later. Years on down the road, after many years, near the end of Paul's life, writing to this young protege that he had poured his life into, and he gives him some very helpful encouragement. And it's encouragement that we need today. It's encouragement that we need, really, to keep going. Let me give you some background on, on how we even got to Acts 16.1 and what happened and when he's meeting this guy named Timothy. Now, during Paul's first visit to Lystra, so on the first ministry trip there, there were three generations in one family that came to faith in Christ. You have the grandma, the mom, and the son. You've got Lois, the grandma. You've got Eunice, the mom, and Timothy, the son. And they're growing in Christ through the years that Paul wasn't there, and Timothy grew so much in his faith that by the time that, that Acts 16.1 is being recorded and what is going on there, Paul's like, we want to bring him on to our ministry team. He is going to be useful in, in the ministry that we're a part of. And Timothy became really like the MVP of Paul's ministry team. He was his most valuable co-worker over the next 15 years. He helped evangelize Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea and Corinth and Ephesus. He was name-checked by Paul as the co-writer of 2 Corinthians and 1 and 2 Thessalonians and Colossians and Philemon. And now, near the end of his life, Paul writes Timothy two very personal letters. 1 Timothy, where he gives him some instructions on leadership in the church, and 2 Timothy, where he, he gives him some encouragement. And, and Paul is awaiting death in a Roman prison at this point when he writes 2 Timothy. So there's our intro, and now let's just dive into to 2 Timothy 2. The backdrop of, of 2 Timothy 2 is chapter 1, verse 15, where Paul is, is grieved over something. He's grieved over people that have left the faith. And he even tells who some of them are, Phygelus and Hermogenes, they had deserted him and, and deserted the cause of Christ. So they are basically you know, out to lunch spiritually. They have left the faith. And, and there's one exception, Onesiphorus, who had remained faithful to Paul, who had remained faithful to the gospel, even visited Paul in prison. And so this chapter opens up, chapter 2 of 2 Timothy, opens up with Paul urging Timothy to follow the example of, 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 of Paul, not the deserters. He's saying, don't leave the faith. Stand your ground. So he says in verse 1, you my son, he considered him a son in the faith, you my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in God's grace. That Timothy was to find his strength and his power to to keep going and to serve Christ, not in himself, but in the grace God gives. That's how it is for us, too. We can't live on our own strength. We've got to trust the grace of God. God's grace saves believers, keeps believers, and then provides motivation and strength to carry on, even when you want to give up. And, and you probably have felt like giving up, not just once, but numerous times. And the grace of God is, is what keeps you going. 
And so Paul shows Timothy how to stay strong in Christ. And he says something to him that we would all agree with, but we find it very hard at times to gain traction with in our lives where the rubber meets the road in the Christian life. We find it hard to actually do what Paul is telling Timothy. Paul is telling Timothy and us how to be strong in Christ. And in the midst of rampant falsehood, there's always errors. There's always falsehood swirling around. And Paul gives three truths to lead to a significant life, a life of impact. And that's what we want to look at today. How you grow strong in God's grace. How you combat falsehood. So let's look at the first part of verse 2. The first way you do it is by receiving God's word. Receiving God's word. Paul says to Timothy, the things that you heard from me. He has heard the word of God from him. During many years with Paul at this point, Timothy had heard the word of God from the apostle, and it was in the, in the presence of many witnesses. There were a lot of other people around. There was Silas and Barnabas and Luke and others who could attest to the word of God that what was being taught, and this was a reminder that Timothy needed. It's a reminder that we need to to receive the word of God. Not in a way where you say, well, when I got saved, I received the word of God. I'm good. I kind of said fill her up, and I got filled up with the word of God, and I don't really need to go back to it very much. You need to go every single day to receive the word of God. Well, what kind of heart attitude does it take to receive the word of God? You see that kind of heart attitude in the Thessalonians, actually. Just go back in your Bibles to the left just a little bit and go to First Thessalonians 1. I want to show you something about them, what Paul brings out. Chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 4, they're, they're very eager for the word of God. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.6, Paul says, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. They'd received the word of God, and it was in the middle of hardship and they had the joy of the holy spirit as they were receiving the word you go on into chapter 2 verse 13 and he says we also thank god constantly for this so this is an ongoing subject of thanksgiving to god that when they received the word of god which they heard from them they accepted it not as the word of men but as what it really is the word of god which is at work in you believers and then on into chapter 4 Verse 1, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to live and please God, just as you're doing, you do so more and more. He's telling them, keep receiving the word of God. Don't stop. Keep receiving the word of God. You've done a great job. He's commending them. And he's saying, keep doing it. Keep doing that. Do it eagerly. Be eager for the word of God. Let me ask you, what are you eager for? What are you hungry for? Now, some of you say, well, I haven't eaten breakfast yet. I'm hungry for bacon and eggs and coffee and such. You know, you're looking forward to a great meal today on Father's Day, I know. But what are you hungry for in terms of your life that you can't resist? For me, it's garage sale signs. I'm serious. I, can, I just can't pass up a good garage sale sign, especially if they're made well and they're pointing me to the right place. Just yesterday morning, I'm driving over here to Grace to say hi to everybody at the men's breakfast, and then I was traveling on to another men's breakfast over across town to go speak at that. And I'm telling you, I saw a boatload of garage sale signs. On the way here, I resisted. I haven't always. There's other Saturday mornings where I'm coming over here for men's breakfast, and I actually see one of you there as well. 
But then I'm driving across town and there's a whole boatload of other garage sale signs and I'm just like, there was everything in me that just, I'm like, I gotta get there by a certain time. But I did go afterwards. I, w- I went afterwards, okay? And my father-in-law and I went to a couple of them and we, we, we just, I just can't resist that. But I hope that, that the word of God is like that in your life, that you cannot resist the word of God. And I realize sometimes the word of God feels like a, a, the opposite end of a magnet to you. You're like, everything but the word of God is what you want. But it's not enough, by the way, to say, well, I'm hungry for the word of God and not go get something to eat or expect everyone to, to wait on you or to expect people to feed you like a baby, right? You've got to learn to feed yourself spiritually. You've got to learn to get into the word of God, open it up. It's as simple as opening it up and starting reading somewhere. Maybe if you're brand new to the Bible, start in the Gospel of John or start in Matthew. Just start with the New Testament, but just start... And, and then start reading, trust God, ask God, help me to understand this, Lord. Help me to, help me to see what you're saying to me. And by the way, it's, it's my duty on an ongoing basis to remind you what day it is in the Through the Bible, Bible reading plan. It's day 171. Now, every one of you who says, oops, every time I bring it up, don't worry, just start today. Crack open your Bible and start today. And I, re- I know how it is amongst Christians. We're all like, yeah, Bible, Bible, Bible on Sundays and maybe Wednesdays and maybe at my small group. No, I, we're talking every day here. Receiving the word of God every single day. It's an ongoing thing. The Thessalonians got that encouragement. Timothy's getting that encouragement. You know, basically, Second uh, Timothy 2.15 do your best to present yourself as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightfully handling the word of truth. It's like stay away from gossip and irreverent talk and have the word of God come into your life. Don't swerve from the truth. He gives examples of people who swerve from the truth. So, But Timothy heard this, this encouragement, this exhortation, and took it to heart and lived it out, and he did it obediently. And Paul is giving some great examples, by the way, as he says this. He goes, just like a soldier, just like a soldier basically obeys his commanding officer. That's, that's how intent you need to be on this. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, he says, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching because, because people should be able to see your progress in the faith. Now, if you neglect the word of God, it leads to an increasingly warped mind if you are neglecting the word of god it's going to increasingly warp your mind when you're not in, in immersed in the word of god you will think inaccurate things it's like when you have a fever and you're like hallucinating and you start seeing pink bunnies and thousand foot giraffes walking around your room and 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 everyone's like they're not there and you're insisting no they are they're gonna get me your brain without God's word. It, it thinks really inaccurate things. And the Bible makes it really clear. It's a battle for your heart and mind. It's a battle for your heart and mind. Why else would we be told to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ? Jesus said that the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. What's filling your heart? Is it the word of God? Is it garbage? Is it worldly wisdom? What is filling your heart? Not receiving the word creates a warped mind, but receiving the word creates a renewed mind. That's what we want, a renewed mind. But the word of God cleanses us. The word of God frees us. Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. You'll be, you'll be free from any enslavement to which you've been bound. 
The Bible warns us about being just hearers and not doers of the word. There's a lot of people say, well, I'm taking in the word every day, but they're living in such a way that no one would be able to guess. That's not appropriate. Basically, that means that we're deceiving ourselves. It's got to get into our life in a very real way. What Paul is saying to Timothy is, receive the word, and and it's going to change you. It's 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 going to be very evident in the way that you live. Psalm 19 speaks of the blessings and the, and the effects of the word of God, how it's perfect and how it restores our souls and how it makes us wise, how it endures forever. The Bible is, is very clear about what sin does to our life. Sin ruins us. Without Christ, our best is, is not good enough. We're helpless before God. We're, we're depraved. And the Bible is not a self-help book. If you think it is, you've misunderstood the Bible. The Bible is not a self-help book. It is, it's presenting one unified message. One message. And that message is that you must follow Jesus Christ alone, who is the only Savior. Because Christ paid your sin debt, and he provides righteousness, and you must trust in his finished work at the cross, and trust his ongoing work in you and through you by his spirit, through his word. Because the word of God is used by the Holy Spirit to to work in believers to make them more like Christ. I've been on two missions trips to New Guinea. And New Guinea's an interesting place. The tropics cover 3% of the earth's land, yet 50% of the world's organisms reside there. And the reason why is because the sun hits New Guinea straight on and in full strength all year long and there's constant exposure to the power of the sun and it results in massive animal and insect and plant life in that region of the world. But in the same way, when you constantly expose yourself to the word of God, you are going to experience all kinds of spiritual growth in your life. And you need to receive the word of God. That's the first thing we see here. You you really need to. It isn't an option. It is necessary if you want to please your commanding officer. That we grow strong in God's grace. We combat falsehood. We, We see that our life is having a significance when we're receiving the word of God on an ongoing basis. That's the first thing we see here in in 2 Timothy 2.2. The second thing we see is that you are not to be just receiving the word, but also giving God's word. He says, entrust it to faithful men. The things that you've received from me, entrust that to faithful men. 2 Timothy 1.14, Paul had told Timothy that he was to guard through the Holy Spirit that indwells him the good treasure, the good deposit, the gospel. And now Paul is taking it a step further. And he is urging him to arrange for the transmission of the truth of the gospel to the next generation, to others. To entrust the treasure, the gospel to others. And Paul is saying this at the end of his life. He is awaiting execution in a Roman jail. He has carried the torch of the gospel for many years and he is concerned that it be handed on to others to carry on. 
Timothy must train reliable men from among the people that are residing in the church in Ephesus and, and, and create another link in the chain teaching the gospel to others, giving the gospel. Do you notice that Paul says faithful men? He didn't say gifted or smart or anything else but faithful. Now I know there's a lot of very intelligent men here with very high IQs and uh, cues, and you could probably do a Rubik's Cube in you know, 1.3 seconds and all that. But you're called to be faithful. And what it means to be faithful, and by the way, Grace Church is full of men of faith who trust God and can be counted on. Because if you're a faithful man, it means that you are trustworthy. That when someone says, hey, I need you to do this, and you say, I've got it, they don't wonder if you're actually going to follow through on your word. To be trustworthy means to be bound by a covenant, a promise, an oath, or love with God and be, be able to be counted on because you're trusting God. And you, you, you follow through on your word. Faithful men who can be trusted with responsibility, who are time-tested for faithfulness. That describes our elders. That describes our pastors. That describes a lot of people at Grace Church. Think about discipleship. We say we want to make disciples. Think about discipleship. What does that entail? What does that include? Well, you've got to be rooted in Jesus Christ in a relationship with him. You've got to be guided by the word of God. You've got to be empowered by the spirit of God. And you've got to be engaged in relationship in the household of God. That's, you've, got, you've got to live it every day where the rubber meets the road in the Christian life. And that takes togetherness. Call it teamwork. You can't Skype it in, you can't Facebook it in, you can't Instagram it in, you can't Snapchat it in, or whatever else is out there that you can communicate. You've actually got to trust other men. Men, I'm speaking to you here. You've got to trust other men in your life to be able to receive the Word of God and also give the Word of God. This isn't done in a vacuum. This is, done, this is like a relay race, men. This is like a relay race. And the most important part of the relay race is actually the baton. The handoff that takes place between relay race runners. Because if you're in a relay race and you drop the baton, you don't get to dust it off and pick it up and keep running. You're through. You're out of the race. You're disqualified. So it's a relay race, guys, and you can't drop the baton. And every man in this church matters. You might think you're hidden. You might think you're not noticed. You might think you're, you're not significant or even needed. And every man that God brings to grace... Church of Orange is needed and we need to invest in each other's lives and, and ask each other important questions and pray for each other and connect together. 2 Timothy 2.5, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. You apply that to a, a relay race, you got to have teamwork. But I know how it is. It's, I'm this way. I, men in general, we do what's convenient, not what's hard. We take the path of least resistance often. But we need to give God's word and, and give godly advice in line with the word of God and then wait for God to move in our brother's hearts. I was just talking to a friend yesterday who was giving some really good biblical advice to a friend and he was grieved because he said my friend isn't taking that advice yet i remember telling a friend once who was going to marry this gal i said she's bad news don't marry her she's not following jesus don't do it 
And another friend told him the same thing, and he went ahead and did it. They were divorced within a year. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. But you've got to trust God's sovereignty and providence and, and give the word of God. Give the word of God to other men and then trust God to work in their hearts. That's how you grow strong in grace. You receive the word of God and then you give the word of God. And third, what happens when you do that is you're multiplying God's word. Basically, Paul says, who will be able to teach others also. There's not a a two-part thing and then it's over. It is a multiplication. If you think about it, you want to use math. It's not my favorite thing, but let's just use math for a moment. You receive the word of God. That's adding it to your life. You give the word of God, that's actually subtracting, but you're giving it away, and then, then you stand back and watch God multiply. So God's math is, I guess, better than ours. <laughs> See, Timothy was to take what he learned from Paul and teach faithful men with proven spiritual character, with giftedness to pass the truth on to another generation, in trust to reliable men who would be qualified to teach others also. And this was... This was to be a ministry of multiplication. That's God's method for passing on the good news of Jesus Christ. Think about the generations that are just in this verse. From Paul to Timothy to others to others that would be taught. That's four generations of godliness, spiritual reproduction that is to be continuing until Jesus returns. This is more than four generations. This is innumerable generations until Jesus comes back. You'll notice the teaching ministry is not to be one lone man, but a plurality of leaders in the church who are receiving the word, who are giving the word, and then standing back and watching God multiply ministry and discipleship. That's how it is supposed to go. Multiplication. 2 Timothy 2.6, it's the hardworking farmer who ought to receive the first share of the crops, the outflow, the multiplication of the seeds that were planted. Look at that picture on the front of the bulletin. A great picture of a, of a dad and, and, and child, father and child. And, and what's been forgotten in the body of Christ often is that the household, the humble place that you dwell, ought to be the place where the word of God is first taught daily. When, when God spoke Deuteronomy 6 and he was talking to parents to to teach their children the word of God when he when he spoke Ephesians 6 when he said to bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord that meant that children were to hear the word of God by with their own parents voices and because kids make a, a connection that whatever's important to us is what we're talking about and they hear the word of God from within our voice they think oh that's important for my life even for the youngest age even when they're still in the womb and they don't even know the language yet in fact i think this is probably one of the biggest things missing in the body of christ that kids don't even know what they're missing because they're not getting the word of God taught in their homes. They're malnutritioned spiritually and we think Sundays and maybe Wednesdays is enough. It's not. That's, you don't receive the word of God just once a week unless you're going to start only eating once a week. Hmm. Here's what I like to say to men. Put on your big boy pants and lead. We know what, big boy, we know what that means, right? Put on your big boy pants and lead. Because if you're not leading your household, someone else is. And if you're not giving your household the word of God, you're neglecting one of your primary callings. 
And, and you, you would be found, if you're not receiving the word of God and giving the word of God, to actually be playing at the Christian life. Grace is amazing church. There's a lot of faithful involvement in each other's lives in groups all over the place. To that I say, way to go. But guess what? I know so many men. I spend the majority of my time either preparing to preach, praying, or spending time with men in the church. And there are so many men in our church that are not connected. And yes, some are reluctant to get connected, but others are simply waiting for someone to come up and ask them to to connect and and be in the word and prayer together. If you think about it, we're kind of playing catch all the time. We're we're playing catch with each other and and our spouses and our kids and our friends and and others. And and I want to say something to the ladies here today, to the women. If your man isn't leading, don't give up. And don't, don't try to guilt him into it. Help him. Pray for it. Trust God to bring it about. And, and don't just stand back and say, you're supposed to be doing that, but, but help the process. And men, if you see a man who isn't leading, don't think ill of him. Don't, don't look down on him. Go befriend him and help him. Teach him. He, he may have never been taught these things. You may have never been taught these things. Why is it that humble, transparent, honest, realistic, godly male leadership is so crucial in evangelism and discipleship in households and the household of God and even to the ends of the earth? There's only one reason. It's because in God's sovereign choosing he calls men to lead and it's why we start with the men first men are called to be self-denying humble bold servant leaders who will lay down their lives for their household and the church just like christ laid down his life for the church I find myself thinking this a lot. I find myself thinking, what if every man in the church was connected significantly with several other men every week? What might God do? What joy might God bring to all the women and children in the church? And there's only one way to get into a cold pool. I experienced it yesterday. Came back from a long bike ride with Michael, and we're like, let's jump in the pool and I'm like dipping my toe in thinking, it's really cold. It's not heated. It's cold. I don't want to do this. And I splashed my leg a little bit. And I didn't want to do it even more. And then I said out loud, there's only one way to do this. And you have to just jump in. Just dive in. And it, you've got to resolve as a man. And, and really, men, women, boys, girls, all of us can make this resolution. That we're going to receive the word of God on a daily basis. And that we're going to give it. And that we're going to just stand back and watch God multiply ministry. And I realize some of you, especially the men, some of you are going, I'm bracing myself. This is the point in the Father's Day message where he tells us we have to get in a men's group. Well, good. If you already knew that, then why are you not in one yet? You've had like 35 minutes already. Come on. I realize you may not be ready. Okay, I realize that it's, it's tough. It's scary. It's, 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 it's unknown for a lot of men, but... 
that's okay. We're going to trust God's timing, not our agenda. But here's what I'm encouraging you to do, men. Let's make it very clear. I want you to open up your Bibles with your family. And you say, whoa, 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 I never did, I never did that before. With my wife or my kids, they're going to think I'm a, I'm a Martian or something. Like, who, who took our dad and our husband and brought in this guy? What's up with that? Um, and they might not even want to do it with you. I would just say this, just today. Open up your Bible and say, can we read something together and then pray? That's it. And if they say no, just say, okay, maybe tomorrow. And then try it tomorrow. Just do what, what, what's, what's, what's good and right for Christians to do. And, and do it at, at home base. The other thing I want men to do is, is actually go online right now. I think it's, um, I can't see the screen back. There's all these beautiful balloons. I love those balloons. Those are like my favorite. Maybe we could have this each week. Because um, I don't see the time, and I'm not sure how much time I have left. It's awesome. Um, but I want you to go online right now to graceorange.org front slash small groups and I want you to just put your name on that and allow me and some other men in the church to engage with you on what might that look like for you. You're not committing to a lifetime of, of meeting with this one group of guys that you really don't want to meet with. Um, but even that, I just want to say, even that, we want to profile and get the guys in our group that are just like us. That's not good. That's not the body of Christ. We're, we're different. We're all different, and we need each other. And so let's just think about that as well, like, that who could you give support and encouragement and accountability to? Who could you invite? Let's say you're already in a group. Who could you invite into your group? Is there someone in the church that you like, realize they're not getting invited for some reason? And then there's the men's retreat, and I'm just going to say this. Sign up today or you're in big trouble, but only the men, Okay? You have to be a real man to sign up for the men's retreat. Okay. So let's close this up. Let's, 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 let's talk about one more thing, though. Everything I'm talking about, everything Paul said to Timothy, it's not one of those things where you say, well, yeah, got it, done, got it wired. Here's the way I'd put it. You need to do it. You can do it. And you can't do it. Hmm. What you're talking about, Mike? Well, what I'm talking about is you can do this, but you can't do this in your own strength. You can't. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 help us a lot right here. here here's how it goes. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and work for his good pleasure. And the idea is that God knows you can't do it without him, but he's pleased to use you in the process. This is like, you got saved by Jesus. So we're going to assume that you're a believer. If you're not a believer, you need to believe in Jesus and be saved. But if, 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 if you're a believer, then you need to work out your salvation with fear and trembling because God's at work in you to will and do his good pleasure. So you need to decide to open up your Bible with your family. You need to decide to give the word of God to others. You need to decide to do these things, to resolve to do these things, and trust God to, to help it bear fruit. Lastly, I want to talk about penguins. It's kind of tie-in. Isn't this a tie-in right here? Let's talk about penguins. And then the worship team will come on up. So this is for the men, the husbands, the dads, the brothers, the friends. We can learn something from male penguins. Did you know that? You can learn something here about male penguins. Many animals migrate during cold winters. But not male penguins when they're guarding one particular personal treasure. No, they'll endure the cold winter when they are guarding the egg. 
theirs. It's, I, don't know, I'm, I'm, I don't know how big they are, but let's just say they're this big. Okay? What happens? They go without food, water, and sunlight for four months, facing you know, freezing temperatures approaching 100 degrees below zero. And how do they make it so long without the egg freezing? This is very interesting. Each penguin carries the egg on the top of its feet and then underneath its coat. And the feathers shield the egg from the elements and the nearness of the egg to the, to the father keeps the egg warm and if it touches the ground, it freezes and dies. But the other question is, is even crazier. Like, well, wait a minute. Okay, I, got, I get that part. But how does the, the male penguin make it so long without freezing himself to death? And that's where the community of penguins comes in. Thousands of penguins waddling in an enormous huddle, shielding each other from the freezing elements. Their community helps them survive. That's how the church carries the gospel to the next generation. As you receive the word of God and give the word of God and stand back and watch God multiply ministry, you've got to keep the gospel close and stay close to each other. Guard the truth in community. That's the way God designed it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that what we have talked about today is absolutely essential for Christian growth, that we cannot grow apart from your spirit and your word. Thank you, Lord, that you want men and women and boys and girls to grow strong in your grace by receiving and giving your word so that godly ministry multiplies. Lord, we want to stand back and praise the glories of your grace in Christ as you do work in and through us that only you can do and as we dive in wholeheartedly in that work. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.